Uh, so feel free to, to pick those up and pack them up, and they, this will help uh, kind of uh, children in need across this week. So I apologize if this is coming sudden, uh, suddenly, but um, we were scheduled to have a members meeting after this service, but uh, we actually had to reschedule that meeting uh, for uh, August 8th, so I apologize uh, for that. Um, but we will get some information out to you this week, so you have uh, some time to look over that material uh, prior to that meeting. So uh, those are all the announcements I have. Uh, let's go to the Lord. Let's worship him this morning, uh, praising him for who he is and for his righteousness by joining our hearts and our voices uh, to worship him. Amen. Church, let's stand and let's worship this morning. Uh, but before we do, let's, let's begin our morning with our call to worship and it is out of Psalm 27, verse 4 today. Let's be encouraged. The Word of God says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And let's, let's do just that today. Praise God. together. Lord, I come. Lord, I come and I confess bowing here I find my rest and without you I fall apart You're the one that guides my heart Let's sing together, church. Lord, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep. Sin runs deep, your grace is more, where grace is found, is where you are, and where you teach so teach my song to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus and Jesus you're my hope and say and when I cannot stand I'll fall on 
on you. Sing Jesus. Jesus, you're my hope and say. Let's worship him. Lord, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Jesus, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Jesus, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, and sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow, and sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. 
God says that, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wood. Let's sing. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised his life up from the dead. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance divine, and heir of salvation, purchase of God, and born of his spirit, washed in his blood. And this is my story, and this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, and this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission and perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. And angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story and this is my song. Praising. And praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, and this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. In perfect submission, all is at rest. And I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Yes, Lord. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled and filled with His goodness 
and lost in his love. Let's sing. And this is my story, and this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, and this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day long. Yes, Lord. Lord. Father, you're worthy of our praise, worthy of our praise. As we just sang songs of worship to you, Father, I pray, God, that you may continue to work in our hearts. Continue, Lord, to speak to us now through your word. God, may you be glorified in our time together as a church, as a body. May we be encouraged. May we be brought to your feet, Lord, in all of this. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. Oh, you are seated. I open my eyes and you're seated. <laughs> Man, let me read to us from Romans chapter 3, verses 23 to 26. If we spend some time in prayer, Romans three twenty-three tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a joy it is to sing of the righteousness that is ours through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, the only reason that we can sing today and sing of this blessed assurance, the only reason we can sing about how we and our Savior are happy and blessed is because you have purchased us through the redemption that came to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for justifying the sinner. We thank you for giving to us your mercy and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for crediting to our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We worship you and we praise you, Lord. God, and we admit that we are oftentimes inconsistent with, the, with this imputed righteousness that we have by faith in Christ. Lord, we don't always do what is right. Our speech and our thoughts betray the righteousness of our hearts that we have through faith. Even the desire of our hearts at times 
are craving the things that are unrighteous. And so we pray and ask, God, that you may forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our trespasses. And we pray and ask that you would help us by your Spirit to walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we pray this morning for the Merrills. Lord, we pray that you would give Dwight strength and discipline as he continues to battle Parkinson's. We pray that your, that your Spirit would abide with him each and every day. We pray that you would help Karen to immerse herself in your word and in prayer regularly. God, we pray for their daughter, and we ask, God, that you might save her through the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray also this morning for the patents, and we ask that you might give Steve wisdom and guidance as he begins a new chapter in his life. We pray that you'll make his path straight. Father, we pray that they might regularly devote themselves to prayer and the reading of your word, and that their righteousness might increase. God, we pray that you would bless their children and that you may accomplish your good purposes in their lives. Holy Spirit, we pray for those in our church, Lord, who are, who are struggling, who are in, our, in seasons of trial and adversity, for those who may be battling with particular illness or sickness. God, we pray that you would sustain them, that you would strengthen them, help them to walk in the righteousness of Jesus Christ with great patience and diligence. And we pray that you would graciously provide for them. Lord, we pray for our sister Ina York in the Dominican Republic. God, we pray that you would bless her efforts to purchase this new home that will function as a sort of missions base for the spread of the gospel and the joy of all peoples in the Dominican Republic. We pray that you would provide her with all that she needs, including the staff, the individuals, Lord, who can help put this place together and, and provide. And that would help, Lord, in establishing this place, Lord, for the spread of the gospel. Provide for her efforts. God, we pray also for FBC Hampton Falls. We pray for the saints who gather there, and we ask, Lord, that their lives may be a continual display of the righteousness of Jesus Christ through faith. That they would display that righteousness as they fellowship together, as they preach the gospel, as they serve, and as they love one another. Father, we come before you this morning, and God, we pray for a revival. God, we know and we understand that this is a big ask. It is nothing short of a miracle. We understand and we know that we cannot manufacture this. We can't produce it with our own efforts. And that is why we pray. That is why we ask, God, that you might cause there to be a deep and permeating conviction of sin and unrighteousness. We pray, God, that churches across the country may be filled with a great number of people that far exceed the number of seats in the sanctuary looking for salvation. Lord, fill your house with people who are seeking for hope. Bring salvation to homes, to neighborhoods, to cities across the country for your glory and the joy of all people. For all those who work in the field of education, whether it's teaching or advising or counseling or assisting in whatever way 
and manner. Lord, give them rest from their work this summer. We pray that this time would be a time of refreshment, that this would be a time where they can store in themselves the words, store in themselves the promises that are contained in the scriptures, store in themselves strength that comes from prayer to prepare them and help them through another season. God, we trust you for all of these things, and we look forward to all that you are going to do, and we continue also to join our hearts together as we pray also the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray in the scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please turn to the book of Psalms. And we are going to Psalm 7. So Psalm 7, pick it up in verse 1. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, If I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me. O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are incredibly thankful that we, got, we have a God of righteousness who stands with us. And Father, we pray that you may help us to be encouraged by the truth of your word. 
Lord, there are certainly many injustices in the world. There is a lot of wickedness in the world. But we are not a people without hope. Because we believe in a God of righteousness who will establish his righteousness upon the earth and who has already begun establishing that righteousness by justifying those who believe in Jesus and making them stand in the righteousness of Christ. And so through your word, help us to stand this morning on the righteousness of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. It's easy to read a psalm like seven and sort of, well, one, dismiss it because there's a lot of uh, things in the psalm that we don't necessarily want to think about, of things in the psalm that we would rather just kind of gloss over and kind of skip. But there are certain, some things in the Psalms that might sort of cause us to think that, well, it's not really having to do much with me. Because giving the little information that we have from the Psalm, it seems that the psalmist was David, is sort of going through a particular time in his life where he is, might be falsely accused of wrongdoing. He pleads to the Lord and asks the Lord to establish him, to stand for him because he's in the right. He's not guilty of wrongdoing. Right? So unless you find yourself today in a situation where maybe you are accused of something you haven't done, then you might not really resonate with what's happening in the psalm. And that's okay. Whether, that's, whether you're kind of in that position today or not, you, maybe you have experienced that at some point in your life. But we also live in a time when Christianity is looked on disfavorably, right? And as Christians, we might find ourselves in a point in time when we might be brought to court because of our faith in the gospel or because of our conscience. And then Psalm 7 will be really, really relevant. And so I want to look at this psalm with you, and whether or not you find yourself resonating with what's happening in the psalm, I think there are still some things that we can take from the psalm. So the first thing I think we can take away from Psalm 7 is that we can learn to plea before a righteous judge. So verses 1 and 2, it begins, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart. So throughout the psalm, we see that the psalmist, that the author, makes his appeal to God and appeals to God in two different ways. He appeals to God as judge, as the righteous one, the one who will uphold the righteous, the one who will consider the weight of evidence and look favorably upon the innocent one. So there's, there's that, that aspect in the psalms, but then there's another way that the psalmist pleads to God. Again, it begins, O Lord, my God. So the psalmist pleads to God, not just as a righteous judge who is impartial for sure, but also as God as a father. O Lord, my God. It's kind of an, an image that I think of when I read that psalm. 
It's an image of a child who in distress or in fear of danger or in fear of something runs to his parent, runs behind him, clings to his leg. Wait for mommy or daddy to protect him. The psalmist is coming to God, his personal God, a God that he has a relationship with, and he's coming and asking that you would be a shield for me. Let me hide behind your protection. And he makes this appeal based on a righteousness. And this isn't necessarily a righteousness that comes from not having done what he has perhaps been accused of doing, something wrong. But it is a righteousness based on faith. A faith through which he has a relationship with God. When the scriptures, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, is concerned with God's relationship with man. How can man have a right relationship with God? The scriptures teach us that man and God are separated. Not just separated, but there is, there is a hostility between God and man because God is righteous, because God is holy, and man is unrighteous, and man is unholy. And you can't just bring both parties together and say that it is all good and well. But faith is what brings that relationship and restores that relationship. And it is a faith through which the psalmist is declared righteous. And when you have this faith in God, and as a result have the righteousness of Christ, I mean, it tells us in Old Testament, and we see it emphasized again in the New Testament, that Abraham, for example, chosen, called out by God, and he believed in God and was declared to him as righteousness. And when you have that righteousness that only comes from God through faith, right, you need not fear any accusations. Right, even the devil's accusations don't mean anything in the courtroom of God. You might be familiar with this passage in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. Like, what a beautiful picture that we have of the gospel. That we come before God with filthy rags, dirtied up because of our unrighteousness, because of our sins. And when we come to God in faith and repentance, God says, remove those dirty rags and replace those with a pure, with a pure and clean robes of righteousness. And when you wear those robes of righteousness, you have the God of righteousness on your side. So there's a plea to God as a personal God and as a righteous judge. That's just a judge, but an angry judge. In verse 6, 
David cries out, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake from me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Return over it. Return on high. So it seems that there's a calling for a high court to be put together. It's just like Job, if you're familiar with Job's story, he calls for there to be a court where he stands and pleads his case. It seems like the psalmist is calling out to God, let there be a courtroom with God as a judge. Let there be a jury. Let the evidence be presented, and you will see that I am an innocent man, that I am righteous. And it's a bold plea, right? Because if you call upon a judge in a courtroom to be put together, you need to be, and then the weight of evidence actually shows that you are unrighteous, well then, right, you're going to pay dearly. So it is a bold plea. And in this courtroom, in this heavenly courtroom, right, there is, this is a divine judge. And no amount of money can purchase the favor of the divine judge. No amount of money can get you the best lawyer to get you out of your predicament. You cannot bribe the judge. Even the scriptures tell us that what gift can you give to God that he might repay you? Right, especially when you know that God knows all. God sees all. And so there's a bold plea to stand before the courtroom of God. You can have that kind of a bold plea because you wear the righteousness of God. He calls upon God to rise in his anger. Right, we'd expect an impartial judge to withhold his emotions. Right, we want him to be impartial. We don't want necessarily for him to show any kind of favor or disfavor to anyone. Right, he's, he has to be impartial. But it doesn't mean that the judge does not feel anything. It doesn't mean, does not mean that when he goes to his private quarters that he doesn't feel any sense of anger or pity for the victim. Because the judge is still a person. And a righteous judge, even though he may not show it in the courtroom, will feel a sense of anger towards unrighteous, or, or unrighteousness. There's a call upon God to awake and to rise in his anger. His anger is stronger than the fury of the adversary. Because again, remember, this isn't just a God who is righteous and impartial, but this is also a judge who is our God, a personal God, who not only feels anger at unrighteousness, but also feels anger towards unrighteousness inflicted upon his own children. Awake, arise in your anger, the passage says. Not that God is sleeping, but that God would be awakened to this injustice. That he would come sort of alive to what is happening. So we see from the psalm, one thing that we can take away is how to plead before the Lord. That we plead to him as a righteous judge, but more than that, we can plead to him as a son or daughter and we can be confident, right, that he is a righteous judge and that he will judge in an impartial manner. 
And when we come before the Lord, something else we see in the passage, that we can have a confident assurance before the righteous judge. Verse 8, the Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. Or let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. Again, we see a boldness in the writer. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to the integrity that is in me. Right, some, some people right, will swear an oath when you go, I mean, you've seen it in a courtroom where when you're going to bear witness or you're going to give a testimony, you're called to stand with your hands on the Bible and, and, and hand up and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Even outside of the courtroom, people have different ways of swearing to whatever it is they're swearing to, to their honesty, to their integrity, towards their righteousness. They will swear in different ways. I'll swear on this. I'll swear on that. I'll swear on my mom. I'll swear on your mom, whatever the case might be. And a person could still be lying, right? Right, but God is not wearing a blindfold. God's ears are not plugged up. God knows everything. God sees everything, even the intentions of one's heart. Psalm 94, 11 reminds us the Lord knows the thoughts of man. Romans 2, 6 tells us he, God, will render to each one according to his works. That presumes that God knows everything about you and me to be able to render to each one according to his works. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, all of that presumes that God knows and sees everything, even the intentions and desires and the heart of man. Right from swearing oaths, right to lusting, to lying, it all presumes that God knows every single thing about you and me. In Matthew 6, 1, tells us, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God knows all and sees all. And the passage there is talking about doing good to others instead of proclaiming it boldly, I've done this, I've done that. No. Don't look for that kind of attention. Reason being because God rewards his people even when things are done in secret that nobody ever knows about. When you do something or give to somebody anonymously, God knows and he rewards. God knows all and sees all. God cannot be lied to. Right, when it comes, when it comes to the gospel, 
Friend, when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need not fear that we are serving a God that knows everything about our lives. Because we've been covered by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But those who do not have that righteousness, or who are not dressed in that righteousness, have things to have reason to fear. Because there is a divine judge who watches, who sees, who hears, who understands, who knows the intentions of the heart, sees the desires. He renders every single one of those things worthy of judgment. That even, that even if you should live out your life as a way to earn God's favor by doing good deeds, by doing good works, at the end of the day will not mean anything. Because you see, righteousness is not primarily concerned with doing. It's not primarily concerned with one's works or display of one's fruit of their life, but righteousness is primarily concerned with relationship. The first commandment says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all of your might. And that is the first commandment. And even in efforts to live one's life in order to earn the favor of God by doing good deeds, it's still essentially selfishly motivated because it does not come from a love for God. It's coming from a desire to spare yourself from judgment. But the Bible teaches us that true righteousness comes from first loving the Lord your God by believing in him, believing in the son that he has sent into the world to die on the cross for sinners. And it doesn't mean, right, that we are then made perfectly righteous. Righteousness is a legal declaration. That through faith in Christ you are declared righteous, declared righteous and that this declaration is gradually changing you until one day you will be perfectly transformed to be righteous. You see Christ. But even the psalmist himself is not appealing to a perfect righteousness. In verse 3, it says, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil, if I have plundered my enemy without cause, then let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. We see a sense of humility see, entrusts himself to the Lord. It's an example to us, right? We entrust ourselves to the Lord, for the Lord to defend us, to defend what is right, and not take matters into our own hands and take vengeance upon our own hands. But there, there is a category for sin. And if I have done this, if I have wronged, there's a category in his mind in case he has committed error. Though I don't think this is a confession of sin. He's not necessarily confessing his sins before the Lord. We see other examples in the Psalms where he has sinned and he confesses that sin before the Lord. And confession certainly is important. Right? As sinners, we have been declared righteous, but we still sin. 
Right, I wonder, when was the last time you confessed your sins before the Lord? Right, has it been days? Has it been weeks before you've gone before the Lord in your private space? Maybe perhaps read the word and let the word convict you of sin and come before the Lord in repentance and admittance that I have sinned against you, Lord, and I'm asking for forgiveness. You see, it it doesn't do us any good to never confess our sins before the Lord. Even though we understand we've been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're still commanded to come before the Lord and confess our sins and pray and ask for his forgiveness. Psalm 32, 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We confess our sins to the Lord as an act of humility because we are, when we confess our sins, we are admitting that we are not perfect. We are admitting that we still need the righteousness of Christ to transform our hearts. When we come before the Lord confessing our sins, it is an opportunity for us to trust in the promise of what 1 John 1, 9, that who for, he who, for, who confesses his sins to the Lord is forgiven. It's an opportunity to remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ and trust in the gospel. I acknowledge my sin to you, O Lord, and I did not cover my iniquity. I confess my sins before you, and I also trust in the forgiveness of my sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have this confidence to come before the Lord. And we have this confidence that we will be forgiven, not because of us, but because of Jesus. Because he is our righteousness. Then lastly, as we plead before the Lord, based on his being a righteous judge, based on his, his being our personal father and savior, as we make our pleas in confidence before the Lord because of the righteousness that we wear through Jesus Christ, we can also trust in the judgment of the righteous judge. In verse 9, Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent his and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head and on his own skull. His violence descends. If you have believed in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the question is, will you continue to believe in the midst of adversity? 
and distress, in the midst of suffering, and even in the midst of trial and persecution on account of faith, of your faith. Will you believe in God when mistreated? Will you still believe that God will uphold the righteous? Notice the psalmist's faith. He says, my shield is with God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. This is a truth about God. The truth is that God saves the upright in heart. And so if you are upright in heart through faith in Christ, then you have a shield as your defense. John Calvin says that, and this is genuine and undoubted proof of our faith, when being visited with adversity, we yet persevere in cherishing and exercising hope in God. From this passage, we also learn that the gate of mercy is shut against our prayers if the key of faith does, do not open it for us. We have to trust. We have to trust in the shield who is God to help us, to protect us, to defend us, to establish the righteous. Only then can the gate of mercy be opened for us when we exercise our faith. Whether it's through adversity, whether it's distress, whether it's suffering, whether it's sorrow, whether it's trials on account of one's faith, right? you have to continue to believe and trust in God. There's a good movie called The Hidden Life about a family or farmers. It's actually based on a true story. And this is in the time of Hitler and, and Nazis. And he's worried about being drafted because when you are drafted, well, you're also called to swear allegiance to Hitler. He's talking to various different people. Right? Even the priest is not helpful. He's finally drafted. You come to this scene in the movie and this, you feel the tension when all these men are, are standing in line and every single one of them has a hand raised and swearing allegiance to Hitler and the only one in the ranks is this man, his hands down, not saying a word because his conscience will not allow to swear his life to a man he considers is committing abominable acts of evil. His faith will not let him and he's arrested, thrown in prison, spends the rest of his life in prison, all on account of his faith. Inmates, fellow inmates are not helpful. Even the priest who comes and visits him says, it doesn't matter what you say, what's in your heart. Even that man wasn't helpful. I mean, it's a tangible example of what it looks like to entrust one's life unto the Lord. That is what faith looks like. That is what faith is enduring. And that's a, that kind of faith that we are called to have. And the Bible says, and I see this in the psalm as well, that God establishes the righteous, that God also rewards the righteous. He favors the righteous, but the unrighteous, on the other hand, will pay for their deeds. One commentator says, the figure which represents Jehovah as having bent his bow and made it ready is awfully descriptive of the exposed situation of every sinner until he returns to the shepherd and bishop of souls. 
the whole system of nature and providence is ready at the bidding of the Almighty to inflict the blow that shall hurl him to perdition. The archer of divine vengeance stands, as it were, with bended bow, and the next arrow that he discharges may pierce with everlasting anguish the soul that now glides unsecurely in the career of thoughtlessness and crime. It's like a heat-seeking missile. It tells us that the arrow of God is, paint, is pointed to the unrighteous. It has their name on it. And the frightening thing is that you never know when the arrow is going to fly. And God is 100% accurate. The arrow will meet its target. And the only escape is for the one who is the target to run to Jesus Christ, to run to the one who has the, the arrow aimed at him and plead for mercy, turn to repentance and entrust their life the Lord Jesus. God is a righteous judge. And for that reason alone, we can give glory to God. That's how the psalm ends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness. I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. There's no indication in the entire psalm that he's out of his particular situation. But he ends the psalm by giving glory to God. How can he give glory to God if, let's say, the, if the situation hasn't changed? He can give glory to God because he is absolutely certain that God will establish the righteous. Because God will establish the righteous, we can continue to sing and praise God just like Paul and Silas did when they were in prison, because of the faith. They weren't necessarily singing because they were happy by being there, though they did count it worthy of being persecuted for the faith. But they can sing praise to God even in prison because they know that they have a righteous judge who in the end will establish them and seize everything. And will reward them. Because of God in Christ, we, have or we never ever have reason to question our innocence before men. But with confidence, we can still worship Him and praise Him. Something else we can take away from the psalm is that you and I should commit our lives to God every single day. It requires everyday faith to submit yourself to the government of God. And it requires great faith because his deliverance may not be on your timetable. His deliverance may not be the kind of deliverance that you necessarily want or desire or pray for. Submitting yourself every day to the government of God means that you are not taking matters into your own hands and avenging your own self, but letting God the judge avenge those who are his. It does, it does take great faith to submit ourselves to his justice. But we can be confident and we can have peace because we know that God will establish his righteousness. 
that God will establish his righteous people. In the eyes of God, you are a rose among thorns. Or a knight among dragons, if for you men who prefer a more masculine illustration. And from the psalm, I think we can also learn to look to the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross reminds us of the righteous judgment of God. That at the cross, we see Jesus Christ who took our sins upon himself and received the just penalty for it. But we also know the gospel story. We also see that three days later, Jesus was resurrected from the grave, showing that this sacrifice was pleasing to God, showing that Jesus was perfectly righteous. So in the gospel, we are reminded that God is a righteous judge, and all those who believe and follow him will ultimately be established, that they are the ones who will endure until the very end, until forever and ever and ever, that his righteousness, God's righteousness, will be established on the earth, and the only ones, the only citizens in that kingdom will be the righteous. But you never need fear of what may be done to you, what may happen to you in this life. Because you know that you have a shield who is with you, because you know that you have a God who is righteous, who stands by your side, and will establish you. He stands by your side, not just as an objective judge who is impartial, but he also stands by your side and will establish you because he looks upon you as a son or daughter who cares for you, who loves you. And from this, we can also learn just how to make our pleas before the Lord. Yes, we confess our sins before the Lord. We acknowledge our iniquity before God. We trust in his forgiveness, but we can also make a plea to God. No matter what your distress is, no matter what your situation, no matter what kind of suffering you are enduring, you can come before the Lord and plead to God as a righteous judge. Plead to God based on your righteousness. God, I am righteous before you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And my Bible tells me that you come and you uphold the righteous. So God, I am asking that you would come by my side, that you would help me, that you would come to me, and that you can also come to God as a father. You can say before God, God, the blood of your precious son was spilled on my behalf. And so I come to you as your son, as your daughter, and I'm asking that you would come to my aid that you would deliver me, that you would help me, that you would establish me because you have purchased me, that you have made me yours. So no matter what situation you find yourself in, whether or not you resonate with what's happening in the psalm or not, there is so much here for us to take away. We can learn to plead before God as a righteous judge and father. And even if we come and when we come to plead before God, we can have a confidence, not based on our own merits, but because of the righteousness of God that has been given to us through faith in Christ. 
And even if the situation in our lives may not change, we can still give glory to God because we know that God still remains with us and God will establish the righteous. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you this morning and we come and we, we worship you, we praise you, we pray to you, we sit under your word. of the righteousness of Christ. We don't come before you with the filthy rags of our good works. We come only through the pure righteousness of Christ. And Lord, we ask that you may help us to remember these truths. We ask that you may help us to have a confidence that comes from a righteousness that has been credited to our account through faith in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you may give to us a boldness so that when we come before you, in good times or bad, we may not be ashamed or fearful or timid about pleading based on the righteousness that we wear through faith in Christ. May we never be ashamed of that righteousness. May we never be ashamed that we have this personal relationship with you. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to us, for rescuing us, and even to this day for upholding us through the Holy Spirit that abides in your people. We thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, church, let's stand, uh, and let's, let's give glory to God, right, in response to today's message uh, with a beautiful, beautiful song, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Amen. Amen. When? And when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest
I sacrifice. I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow. that one more time church and all the Father, that as we heard today's sermon and as we heard your word, God, that, that we may have a confidence in you, Lord. God, you are just God. Father, may you please establish the righteous. Establish, Lord, our, our confidence in you that we may come to you freely, understanding where we stand, in whom we stand who is in Christ Jesus, your Son, our Lord. God, may that be enough for, um, for, for, for us to, to come to your feet. And in that, Lord, uh, for today's benediction, I, I read out of Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 7, and it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near, and let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. Amen. Be encouraged, church. Love you guys. God bless you. You're dismissed.